Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. Even though maybe we're not all in the room, I think there is a word that is too important for us to just rush through this weekend. Because this series to me, and I don't know, I guess I feel that way about every, you know, a a preacher's favorite sermon, the next one. A preacher's favorite sermon is always the next one that he's going to preach. But the series of messages that we've been leaning into over this first year of 2021 have been some of the most exhausting ones to preach. (laughs) I just got to be honest. Every time I preach over the last several weeks, it feels like when I walk off that platform, I just ran a marathon, which I will never do. That's why why God invented cars. I don't know why you run 26 miles. That's insane. Anyway, if you do it, more power to you. That's awesome. But I feel like every one of these messages just emotionally and spiritually and physically is so draining. But have you learned anything? Has it been good? If you're watching online and God spoke to your life, we'd love to hear about it in the chat because we want to know that God is stirring something in your life because we have just made the decision that 2021 is going to be the year where we finally get out of our own way. Because the reality is that thing that's keeping you and I from the life that God desires most from us is not some external thing. It's not the situation at your job. It's not the family member you can't shake. It's not all the things you wish your spouse would do differently. Nobody said amen. Y'all are good. You can say amen on the chat if your spouse isn't looking over your shoulder. That the greatest enemy that we have to overcome is the one looking back at us in the mirror. As Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, once said, Beware of no man more than of yourself. Because you see, we carry our own worst enemies within us. Say amen if you know that's true. Maybe you didn't realize it before this series, but hopefully throughout the last few weeks that God has been revealing to you, hey, they're not the problem. It's not the problem. The problem is there is something in you that's waging war with the godly things I want to do in your life. That really the constant battle in our lives is is flesh versus spirit. And too often we let our flesh win. If you, talk, if you read the way that scripture talks about how sin happens, is we get enticed by our own evil desires. Remember that? We get enticed by our own evil desires that leads us astray and we make those decisions, we fall into sin, and it has negative consequences. And to kind of slay this internal enemy, we've been walking through the life of the poster child for self-sabotage, King Saul, the very first king of the nation of Israel, because he is, he's the poster child. Of all the people in scripture, and I think there are, there are people, all the people in scripture had moments of self-sabotage, but it seems like Saul just had a pattern of it. That time after time, he just could not get out of his own way. He let all these circumstances creep into his life, and he made choices not because he had to, but because he just couldn't have the strength to overcome. And it happened very early on in his reign. But one of the things that I need to point out is the 
The reason why it's so important, one of the reasons why it's so important to overcome self-sabotage is because self-sabotage always sucks other people in. You can't self-destruct without your downward spiral sucking others into it. Y'all have heard me use a phrase that, that I use a lot, sin shrapnel. That when you, when you step into sin, when sin explodes in your life, it gets on other people. Very rarely, if ever, does our sin only affect us. Come on. I know we like to think, well, I'm just hurting me. And especially in this series talking about self-sabotage, it can really, we can get lulled into this false belief of, well, if I'm, if I'm my own worst enemy, the only one I'm ever hurting is me. But I would guarantee you that that's not the case. Even if it's just, you're somebody's son, somebody's daughter, there's somebody that loves you. And you making the decisions that is hurting you is hurting them. We've watched it happen. But our choices also have a ripple effect to other people in our lives. And we have watched as Saul has spiraled downward, he has sucked other people in. Jonathan, his son. His whole nation. And eventually, there will come a point as you move toward the end of 1 Samuel when Saul finds himself in a battle that he cannot win and overcome with that fear, he falls on his own sword. But in the meantime, probably the person he's hurt the most is David. See, we talked about throughout this series, there came a moment when, when God looks at Saul and says, dude, because of the things that you've done, because of the decisions that you've made, I have to take from you what should have been yours. I can't trust you with it anymore. And man, how powerful was last week when we talked about how you can't hold, take hold of what God has for you until you let go of what he's taken from you. And Saul just never could do that. He couldn't let it go. And he starts just to have this impact on the one that God would choose to follow him, David. David, this one who, who did all these amazing things that in the end was really benefiting Saul and his kingdom. What if David didn't have the courage to step out and slay Goliath? What would have happened to Saul? He may have very well died on that battlefield and never made it to the one where he fell on his own sword. But David steps out, even though he wasn't a warrior, he was a shepherd boy, although he had slain a bear and a lion. And he goes out and he kills Goliath and cuts off his head. And now I knew that day I preached that sermon, I'd end up as a meme. And I did. Because you're going to see a picture here in just a minute. Just soak that in just for a minute, and then we're going to take it down, because it's kind, of, it's kind of graphic, is it not? So I preached that message of, we're going to turn this into a coloring sheet, and it'll be in kids' ministry next week. <laughs> Somebody on the front row just said, Sananda, please come back. Don't let that happen. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. David slays this giant, and that sets this trajectory for his life. And he does all these amazing things. And all along the way, at David's heart, all he wants to do is what's best for the nation of Israel. And in turn, what's best for Saul. 
And his reward for constantly trying to do the right thing is Saul keeps trying to kill him. And you gotta wonder, what must that have been like for David? For David at every turn to demonstrate loyalty to King Saul, to go out time after time and risk his life for a man who hated him. David would marry Saul's daughter to go to these family gatherings and have spears chunked at your face. How must that have made David feel? Well, the good news is we get a little bit of a window into that because David kept a journal that we get to read, and it's called the book of Psalms. Now, not every psalm is written by David, but so many of them are. And we have a window into some of the things that that David is feeling, some of the emotions that are running through his spirit as he's trying to navigate all these things. Go with me to Psalm 52. David puts pen to paper, trying to have an outlet to express these emotions as he's dealing with Saul coming after him moment by moment. Psalm 52, verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are disgraced in the eyes of God, you who practice deceit? Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of faithful people. I will put I will hope in your name, for your name is good. That there's these moments when when David's just got to get these emotions out. That there's maybe things that he knows he can't say to him, so he'll write them about him. To just dump these negative emotions that he's experiencing because all this tension is continuing to exist between him and a man that should not be his enemy. Psalm 142 Verse one, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord of mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I might praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. David would let us have a window in to the emotions that he's feeling as Saul is determined to kill him. 
And you know what? As I've read those songs, I think maybe there's a lot of people that have sat through this series, and really you can more identify with David than you do Saul. That throughout this series, you're thinking, Matt, you know what? Everything you're saying, for the most part, I started to have victory in. I'm winning a lot of those battles. And you feel like David, because David, David was doing all the right things. And his reward for it, running for his life. You ever feel like that's you? Come on. You ever feel like you're doing all the right things and nothing's going right? Come on, somebody testify, let me hear you. That, that you've watched this series of Saul and you've looked back and you think, man, I'm, I'm winning those eternal battles. And there's a lot of people, you're winning those eternal battles, but you can't see any tangible victories. You're winning the internal battles. You're overcoming the envy and you slayed the bitterness and you're doing all the things right. And somewhere along the way, you, you repented from those sins and you've been coming to church and you've been reading your Bible and you've been serving and you've been giving generously to the church and you're still broke. You've been handling everything just like you believe God says you won't. You've been winning within, but losing without. That maybe you feel like, David, you're winning, yet weary. See, we think weary is an attribute reserved for those who are losing. But there will be nothing that makes you more weary than feeling like you're winning but struggling to find the victory. Am I making any sense? Come on. Here's David. He, he's doing all the right things. God, I'm, I put my life on the line. Yeah, I know I killed the bear and slayed the giant, but I, I kept fighting. I keep going up to war for this man. And at every turn, he wants to kill me. God, I, I keep doing all the things that, that you said I'm supposed to do. Why is my marriage still like this? God, I've been obedient in all those areas. Why am I still depressed? God, I'm in, I've been making the best choices that I've made in my entire life. Why does nothing seem to be working out? Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? Come on. That, that you're winning the internal battles, but you can't seem to find any tangible victories. You're winning, yet weary. And that's a really dangerous place to be. Because if you keep winning, but still end up weary, there'll come a moment when you let your guard down. That the enemy's gonna come in and say, why are you trying so hard? Why you keep trying so hard? You keep trying so hard, and that God you serve ain't doing nothing for you. So why? Why? And after a while, you'll start listening. And then what he's gonna do is he's gonna present you an opportunity that you think you're justified in taking. 
and you're not. You with me say amen? See, he's gonna, he's gonna wait for you to get so worn down by winning. And that seems weird. That we think we can only get weary by losing the battles. Because we've all experienced that, right? You just keep losing and losing and losing and losing. So if you get to the point where I'm always going to be an addict or I'm always going to do this. But then you get to that point where I'm making all those good decisions and nothing is working out the way it's supposed to. And then you find a moment that you can seize and you can take advantage of. And so even though you know it's not the right thing to do, everything in you says, it's okay. And David finds himself in this position. Move into 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting with verse 4. David and his men are hiding in a cave when all of a sudden Saul shows up at the mouth of it. And David has an opportunity to take the one that was supposed to be his ally, has chosen to be his enemy, and take his life. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse four. The men, David's men, said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, David, I will give you your enemy, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid me, forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked the men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. See, David has this opportunity this one that's been chasing after you at every turn. He's, he said he wasn't gonna come after you and then he did. And now you have this moment and he's in this cave and his men see David. There's Saul, man. Now's your chance. You can get him. You can sneak up, ambush him. He will never even know it. And do we need, we ain't gonna tell nobody. We'll say the corona bat got him up in here. And so David steps out. And you know what? David's probably got to be thinking, you're right. If he's determined to make me an enemy, let's go. He's determined to take my life. I better take his first. I'd be justified. He's thrown spears at me. He's at every turn told everybody that he was going to kill me. He's even killed other people for harboring me and giving me safety. I have good reason to take his life. And he's about to do it. And all of a sudden, right as he gets to the point of giving in, something hits him and he's reminded, nope. And he just cuts off a corner of his robe. And he rebukes those men. That's winning within. Winning within is refusing to listen to what everybody says you should do when you know what God has said you can't do. Winning within begins when you refuse to listen to what they said you should do because you know what God said you can't do. You got every right to treat them dirty. They've treated you dirty. 
You've got every right to make that decision. You're justified in doing that. But David knew that God had specifically said he could not kill Saul. And in that moment, he does not let his emotion get the best of them. Moving to verse 8. It says, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Look at the position that he takes. When everybody else is saying, David, now is your shot, he humbles himself, bows himself before Saul. He says, Saul, why, why are you doing this, man? Why are you determined to kill me? Why are you listening to everybody? When everybody says, hey, you should, you should go kill David. Why, David, you're in, why? Verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You're more righteous than I, Saul said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Saul can't believe it. Because once again, David is everything that Saul was supposed to be but wasn't. You had your chance to kill me and you didn't, it didn't. And I can't understand, how could, how could you find your enemy in this vulnerable position and not do anything about it? And I think David's thinking, dude, I was never your enemy. I was never supposed to be your enemy. And you know what the sad part is? He would, Saul would make a vow to David, I'll leave you alive. Only just to, a few short paragraphs later, keep chasing him. And David would have another opportunity to take Saul's life. And he wouldn't do it. Even when everybody around him said he should. But this is another key to winning within. That there'll be moments in your life that an opportunity presents itself that's contrary to what you know God's word says. And you're gonna have people surround you saying you have every reason to do that, to participate in it, to jump, to take hold. But you need to remember, just because you have reason doesn't mean you have permission. Just because you have reason doesn't mean you have permission. And I know we live in a world where it seems like we're all coming at each other like never before. And we're finding more and more reasons to turn allies into enemies. Because we happen to barely disagree about one thing that we are passionate about and maybe we shouldn't be so uptight. There's gonna be moments in your life when everything in you says, what, I'm, what I want to do is justified. But scripture says, no. You with me? 
Because see, we, we have bought into this thing. If, if I have, we said a few weeks ago, our good intentions don't give us permission to ignore God's instructions. Just because you have reason doesn't mean you have permission. That it might explain it, but it doesn't justify it. And in that moment, everything in David said, I have good reason to go against this man. But God's word says all throughout that vengeance is his when we're wronged. Like Romans 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take courage, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals over his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That just because you have reason doesn't mean you have permission. That you have to refuse to listen when everybody says you should. If God's word says you can't, then don't. And David, in that moment, stood his ground and won. And you know, I think when we look back on David's life, we're convinced that the defining moment of his life was the courage he showed when he killed Goliath. And I would submit, if that's what we think, we're wrong that the most impressive thing David ever did was not the courage to kill Goliath, but the control not to kill Saul. That the most impressive thing David ever did was not the courage to step out and kill a giant, but the control not to kill a king who probably deserved it. That winning so often is not about displays of might, but where we demonstrate restraint. That it's not about those moments where we have the courage to do something bold, but the moments where we have the control to avoid something dangerous. That's winning within. You know how I know that? Because later in David's life, he would lack that control and have one of the most epic failures in all of Scripture when he gives in to temptation with Bathsheba. That the, David's most defining moments were a time when he kept control and a time when he lost it. And if we're going to win within, it's not about having enough courage to slay a giant. It's about having enough control not to do the things that everything in us says we could and should. The self-control and the discipline to avoid the very things that God says we cannot do. That so much of our lives and winning within is not the things that we do, but the things that we don't. And those aren't fun. Winning within, your greatest victories will be the ones that nobody celebrates. 
When David killed Goliath, he came back in. They said, "Woo, it's David. Saul's killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. After this, nobody said, "Woo, it's David. He didn't kill Saul. That your greatest victories will be the ones least celebrated. That the most valuable things that you'll do are the things that are unseen by others, but not unnoticed by God. That in that moment, David had the control, the restraint to not do the things that everything in him. See, David was never at war with Saul. Saul was not his enemy. In that moment, you know who he had to slay? The greatest giant of all, not Goliath, his own flesh. Because you can't convince me that David didn't, at least a little bit of him, want to kill him. That forever, your greatest foe will always be your own flesh. And that's why we've done this series. That it's your own flesh. The enemy is within. And if you don't lean into the Holy Spirit of God and draw from his strength, when you face that moment, when you're staring at something that you know God has said is off limits, do not do it, stay away from it, avoid it, You won't have the control. You'll give in. And you just might self-destruct. You're at war. But it's not against who you think. It's you versus you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's why Paul would say, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think they live by the standards of this world. The standards of this world that says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Somebody hurts you, you hurt them. You can take it, take it. You can do it, do it. You want it, you deserve it. See, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ. That's how you win within. That those victories that will most set you on a path of a God-ordained Life, they're one in here, not out there. They, the front lines of this battlefield is in your own mind where the enemy's trying to tell you things contrary to his word to convince you to compromise and lay aside what you know to be truth so he can sit back and watch you self-destruct and end up like, Saul. And again, David wasn't perfect. Just a few years into his reign, he'd have a moment where he too would lose sight of the end goal and trade some temporary pleasure for his eternal purpose. 
you and I, we don't have to be like that. There's one more passage of scripture I want to leave you with as we wrap up this series. It's not going to be on the screen, but it comes from my favorite chapter in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 8. It says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, you, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Listen to me. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him, listen, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, but by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and live. See, we can win within because what is in us is something powerful enough to give us the strength to do everything that is necessary, as Peter would write, to live a godly life. That you don't have to be victim of your flesh because he gave up his. That his flesh was nailed to a cross so that your flesh wouldn't be a stumbling block anymore. So this is the year to win within, to overcome those things that have plagued our lives for far too long, to stop falling victim to the same old patterns. To wage the war, the internal war. Step toward victory. You take a moment whether you're online or in the room, just bow your heads, close your eyes. I gotta be honest, I've I've struggled how to move on from this and I can't guarantee you I don't come back with another part of this series next week. But I wanna specifically talk to the people who all throughout this series, you've identified more with David than you have Saul. The outcome of your obedience isn't what you thought it would be and you're really getting tired of it. You're winning, but you're weary. And if the enemy puts just the right trap in front of you, you're not sure that you'll have the control to not seize it. And you 
You just need to acknowledge that. You just need to say, I'm so tired, God, of doing all the right things and not seeing the victories that I hoped for. And you just need the Lord to remind you that he's with you. Or maybe there's people in the room, you're winning all kinds of battles and nobody's patting you on the back. Nobody's there celebrating with you. You're winning in the unseen. And you just need to be reminded today that it may be unseen by them, but it is not going unnoticed by God. And just allow him for a moment before you walk away from this experience just to feel his presence and hear his voice to say, I see you. I love you. I'm proud of you. Don't give up. God, whatever it is people need to do with what they've heard today, God, I pray that for a moment as we worship you, that you would help us just to lean into it. That God, we would look for your voice in the noise of this life and help us to see you and find you. Help us to see your face and give us strength, God. God, help a desire to live for you and honor you. Just continue to grow and cultivate in our spirits. God, help us to have the courage to slay the giants and the control to know when to step back. Help us to avoid the traps of the enemy that put things in front of us that we, we believe we have reason to do, but we know we don't have permission to do. Help us to tap into the power of your spirit that unlocks everything necessary for us to walk forward in faith with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.